Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson and with me is Aaron Miller. We have an earnings-centric episode for you today. We're going to just spend the whole time talking through uh, the earnings that have been reported so far for several of the biggest consumer technology companies that we cover. Uh, so we'll talk through them in alphabetical order, starting appropriately with Alphabet and then moving on to Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft and Samsung. Uh, depending on how we're doing, we may throw in Twitter at the end as well. Uh, Facebook is due to report right after we do this, so we won't be talking about Facebook's earnings at all. Uh, we did do a bit of an earnings preview for Facebook along with the rest a couple of weeks ago, so you can go back to that episode if you're interested in that. Uh, but we'll spend the whole time going through those companies in that order, uh, just talking through what they reported and, and our kind of response to that. So let's kick off with Alphabet. So the company formerly known as Google, um, which restructured itself about a year ago at this point, in fact, um, or at least announced that it would do, um, into Google and other bets. And so that's always been one of the most interesting aspects since that change is to compare those two elements. But there was lots more to talk about too. Aaron, what kind of stood out to you from earnings from Alphabet? Um, you know, it, it, it definitely looks like things are going well. Um, the, uh, 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 I, I think a lot of, it, this is actually, we talked about this in the preview, so I hesitate to bring it up now because it feels like rehashing. But I think the other bets stuff that's going on is where it's really interesting. I mean, the main business, right, the main revenue coming through Google and ad revenue seems to be doing fine. YouTube in particular seems to be doing well, but um, but yeah, the other bet stuff. I'm just really curious what's going on with all that. It seems like they're just trimming and trimming and trimming, and it's hard to imagine there being much room for other bets if this keeps going that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, fiber was cut back fairly significantly last week. Um, I think that announcement actually came out after earnings. No, I think it was before earnings. It was mentioned briefly during earnings, but it's basically positioned as a transition in technology away from fiber towards wireless technology. But it really seemed like a recognition that things weren't going well and they kind of needed to rethink the approach there. So it's just one example of one of those. You do see a very slight improvement in margins in the other bets, but it's still, you know, it's an improvement from negative 350% to negative 300% or something like that. So it's all in that context. But uh, it was interesting, non-ad revenue, so stuff other than advertising, uh, is actually growing faster again. It had a bit of a dip in sort of 2014, 2015. Mostly the Play Store seemed to just sort of peter out in terms of growth for a while there. Uh, that non-ad revenue really seems to have accelerated again in the last little while, which is interesting. And that's partly play revenues. It's partly um, subscription revenues from things like YouTube Red. It's partly hardware revenues. And obviously you'd expect that to grow a bit more over the next few quarters as the Pixel and home devices uh, start uh, hitting earnings. Uh, both of those launched after the quarter ended, of course. Um, but some other interesting stuff. I mean, one of the things I think we talked about last quarter in relation to Google's earnings was um, they, they have two categories of ad spend or ad revenue, rather. One is the Google network, if you, uh, the Google sites themselves, so Google.com, YouTube, and so on and so forth. And then there's all the stuff they do on third-party sites, so the ads they place on other sites and so on. Um, there's been this increasing divergence between those two businesses. So what's the Google Sites business is, is far bigger at this point than the what's called Google Network Members website revenue. Um, and that's just been diverging. And, and in the last quarter, the network, so the non-Google Sites revenue, is basically flat year on year. Uh, and that's the slowest it's grown for a long time, whereas the Sites revenue is just accelerating. And if you look at 
the underlying components of that in terms of clicks and cost per click and so on, it's really that traffic on the Google sites is continuing to rise. And part of that's the transition to mobile, part of that's YouTube continuing to grow. Um, but all prices are down. It's just that sites clicks are going up, whereas network clicks are flat, basically, which just kind of reflects this overall shift away from online display advertising on the desktop towards mobile, where display advertising is a lot less relevant. And this is a transition that's really interesting to Google. It means more and more of their ad revenue is coming from their own sites, which means they have to drive that much more of it organically. And I wrote this up last quarter as a blog post on Beyond Devices, but uh, you know, it's it's very clear this this quarter that, that that trend is still there. Well, and we've talked about this before about the threat that mobile is still posing to Google um, and Alphabet at large because of it, and this shift to Google being the the, the content provider that's driving the ad platform. Right, mm -hmm. I mean, that's driving the the platform where the advertising is showing up. It seems like a it, it seems like a strategy that could actually work for the company. YouTube's a great example of how, you know, it, it, of how the switch to mobile actually can can uh, can can cause little problems because of the way the video the ads are embedded in the video. Mm -hmm. You know, rather than in banners or other places that are right. that just don't work on mobile. So. Yeah, I mean the, the the challenge obviously is they they're just going to have to keep building th these properties uh, in order to maintain the ad revenue. But but I I think it's completely within their power to do it and do it well. Yeah. No. The other interesting thing to look at with Alphabet and, and the Google segment specifically is um, traffic traffic acquisition costs, which you know for all online advertising businesses is a is a key element of their performance. And basically, this is what it costs them to get the traffic that then leads to the revenue. And if it's on your own sites, it costs you, you would assume nothing, but it's not quite true actually. If it's on a third party site, obviously it's basically the cut that you're paying out to whoever actually owns that site. And so Google reports this for both of its segments. So the, the third party sites and then its own sites. Uh, on third party sites, it basically pays out about 70% of the ad revenue to the partner. Uh, and that's sort of stabilized recently. It's gone up and down quite a bit over time. Uh, for its own sites, you would assume it would pay nothing, but actually it has to pay quite a bit to acquire that traffic to uh, makers of browsers, basically. So whether it's Firefox or Internet Explorer or, importantly, Safari, especially on iOS. And it's interesting that that uh, percentage of their revenue they have to pay out for that used to be very stable at about 6% uh, back in 2009, 2010, then rose steadily to about 8% in 2013, 2014. And recently it's just been on a tear. It's going up and up and up, and it's almost 10% now. Um, there's a big spike this past quarter, and that seems to be driven uh, from their explanation of it by mobile. And uh, specifically, I would guess that's iOS, since on Android they don't have to pay uh, presumably much at all for acquiring that traffic. So it seems to be their relationship with Apple that's driving that higher. So that was kind of an interesting note as well. Let's move on to Amazon. Um, this was an interesting quarter for Amazon because they reported their first sort of dip in margins after several quarters of record profits. Uh, and this has been a period over the last year or so where Amazon seems to have decided to start generating profits again and simply has done so. Obviously, uh, behind the scenes, that's enabled by a bunch of different things. They've ramped down investment a little bit. They've obviously had the AWS business, the cloud services business, growing quite strongly. They've also had some other stuff going on with third-party sellers, which we'll talk about. It's also helped margins. Um, but the international division uh, was loss-making this quarter for the first time in four quarters. Uh, growth seemed to slow down quite a bit. Um, especially in North America. Um, it's still very healthy growth, but it slowed down quite a bit from where it had been. 
and the, and the margins dipped. So it was an interesting quarter for them. Uh, something I wanted to kind of mention as we go through is kind of what's been happening to the share prices for these companies. Uh, Alphabet's share price is off about 3.5% since they reported it was down about half a percent the first day. Uh, Amazon's was off uh, 5% on the first day. So the market really didn't like what they saw with Amazon. But what was your take on it, Aaron? Well, it's funny because investors for a long time were perfectly happy to invest in Amazon where where the company wasn't making any money. Right. And it, and it went that way, and you referenced that, and it went that way pretty steadily until about a year ago. And now that they've started claiming profits and, and holding on to profits, it's hard for the company to dial that back in a way that doesn't mess with investors' expectations. The interesting question is if it's really just, you know, Amazon going into growth mode again, which it seems to be, especially on the international side. I think it was just today, actually, didn't they announce that they're expanding into Singapore? I think it was. Mm. And, and so there, there's a lot more opportunity internationally for Amazon to grow, especially when you look at U.S. growth slowing down a little bit. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it's funny because I think investors are going to have to reset their expectations if this is a sign of things to come as far as what Amazon is planning to do because Jeff Bezos and the board don't seem to mind like you know dialing profits way down um, to invest in growth and and uh, I, I think they're going to be willing to do it again and so it's going to be I think if you're I mean I hear I'm giving invest this isn't real investment advice but it does mm-hmm. seem like you got to be prepared to be jerked around if you're going to invest in Amazon yeah. because you yeah. can't tell if at any point they're going to they're going to turn the dial up or down on profits because it seems like they don't do it with any regularity necessarily. Right. I, I, um, the AWS growth is really impressive, and I think it's going to continue to make a big chunk and just be a really healthy business. I mean, it grew another fifty percent, I think this this quarter, and and yeah. uh, it's just an awesome service. I, there are so many more businesses that are relying on it, and putting it to use, and. It's really handy for newer, smaller companies to use, and I've seen that with uh, startups getting started here at BYU by by students. And so, mm. um, it's it's just a really handy resource, and and you know, it, it it's one of those core competencies that Amazon has developed over the years. And selling it makes all kinds of sense, and I think that's going to keep doing right. well for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I was I, for my mind one of the most interesting things about um, earnings this time around from Amazon was the guidance. I don't know if you had a look at this. I, I tweeted about it when I first saw it just because it was kind of crazy. So um, the net sales are expected to be between 42 and 45 and a half billion or to grow between 17 and 27%. So a 10 percentage point range in terms of the growth rate um, compared with fourth quarter 2015. But then operating income is expected to be between zero and $1.25 billion. Yeah. So it's like it's like one point one and a quarter billion dollar <laughs> profit range, um, you know, on a three and a half billion dollar revenue range. So yeah. it's amazingly imprecise and uh, very broad guidance. And you know, if you go at the bottom end of that, that's terrible. You know, from a margin perspective, given where they've been for the last few quarters. And yet, if you go at the top of it, it's very healthy. And that's the difference here. And so the guidance is incredibly broad. And so it's just some sign that even Amazon is. Uh, finding it in some cases hard to predict exactly what its results are going to be even quarter to quarter. Uh, no wonder investors didn't really foresee that they were going to have a dip in margins this time around. But as you say, it seems to be driven by increased investment. It was a very deliberate decision on Amazon's part to increase investment. And Amazon's, I mean, I, I generate all these charts because I, I have these quarterly slide decks that I put out for my clients. And um, 
uh, the Amazon charts are some of the most fascinating ones to look at because there are some of these lines that are just incredibly straight. Like you know exactly that this is planning at Amazon that is aiming at exactly that shape of chart. You know, and it's either straight up in a certain direction. Um, so an example of that is seller units as a percentage of total units. It's gone up by one percentage point every quarter for the last two years. Like very, very steady to the extent that when we did our preview, I said this quarter they're going to hit 50% of their total units are going to be seller units. And sure enough, that was the number, but it was entirely predictable because of how they've very uh, deliberately plotted towards that. But another one is um, like depreciation, amortization spend as a percentage of revenue. That's been extremely flat. Uh, for a long time now, and yet it ticked up this quarter. So it was a sign of you know that increased investment after a period of kind of holding it down, so that margins could grow a little bit. Um, so all kinds of kind of fascinating elements in there. Well, and on the conference call, I think they said that capex was going to be lumpy. Was the word they used? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just you've got. I mean, people watching Amazon know that there's that there are big. There, there, there are big strategic shifts constantly happening that are moving f- research, financial resources around. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and, and I kind of like that about Amazon. I like that they're not afraid to, you know, to turn in a bad quarter from a profits perspective in order to invest in the future because mm-hmm. the company has been, has been growing like mad and it has to do with their willingness to make sacrifices like that. Right. And and it, so far it hasn't seemed to turn off investors, and so they can mm-hmm. they can continue to get away with it, which is, you yeah. know, I'm, there are a lot of companies that wish they could do that. Yeah. No. I mean, this uh, I mentioned the seller units thing. It's worth kind of diving down a bit deeper on that. So this is basically stuff you buy on Amazon either comes from Amazon or it comes from third party sellers, and in that case, it's it may at a very basic level simply be the sale goes through Amazon.com, but everything else happens through somebody else. But in many cases, uh, the sale is actually fulfilled by Amazon as well. So the, the, even though you're buying stuff from somebody else through Amazon, it's all going through Amazon's warehouses and their distribution systems and all the rest of it. And so this quarter, as I said, that number hit 50%. So of all the things that Amazon sold, half of them uh, were sold by third parties rather than by Amazon itself. So it's a pretty significant milestone there. Um, a few quarters back, I think it was Q4 last year, they said about half of those third-party units were fulfilled by Amazon as well. So for if that's a constant rate, and it may well be roughly constant, then about a quarter of the things that Amazon sold were sold by third parties but fulfilled through its warehouses. And that's actually very high-margin business for Amazon because it only recognizes their, their, their cut, basically, as revenue. So it's a bit like Apple with the App Store where they only recognize their cut of it rather than the gross revenue. Uh, and that's pretty much all margin, basically. So very high margin. That's been one of the things alongside AWS that's been driving their margins higher over time. Um, and it's now becoming a very significant part of their business. And, and what they call services revenue in total, which is the combination of AWS, some non-retail stuff like uh, credit cards and advertising, which is actually tiny, and then the seller units plus the kind of content half of the prime subscription revenue recognition, that stuff all together is almost a third of their business now. So there's a lot of this stuff that's now kind of not just about selling retail products from Amazon, but it's about other stuff. And that's about a third of their business at this point. So it's really becoming quite a diverse business if you look at it that way, um, not just AWS, but all that other stuff as well. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting that that doesn't get talked about very much. The AWS stuff does, but the rest doesn't. It makes sense, though, that, that this would be a, a great way for Amazon to grow. I mean, th- th- there's only so many people you can hire to really make guesses about 
customer demand for the millions, hundreds of millions of different products out there in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no way there's no way for Amazon to get a handle on all that. And so having having a platform for other sellers to make guesses and to take risks on selling products at, at given prices, you know, hoping that this is something that consumers would want. Again, it's the same idea behind AWS. You know, the reason AWS has been so successful is because Amazon had to build up a really stable, reliable uh, server infrastructure for their business, and the same is true for the for the the, the marketplace that they've created with with Amazon. And so, essentially, leasing that out is is uh, is a great idea. I would I would say though we so we're so our company that sells the the ethics field guide book that we talked about back in August. Yeah. Um, we're a third-party seller on Amazon, and it's a really—it's been a revealing experience, one that I hadn't known much about before. And it's one of my partners that's working on this this situation. But apparently, there's like a different department for every different aspect of selling something, especially books in particular, on mm. Amazon's website. And uh, it's kind of frustrating for us actually, because we find we're getting bounced around to different decision makers and. And so it's not the most efficient thing, which is surprising considering um, how big of a chunk this this takes up of Amazon's business. But, um, you know, maybe the reality is, is most sellers don't have concerns or questions and they just list stuff and they sell it and Amazon right. fulfills it. Right. And Amazon. The, and, the, and the reality is, is the fulfillment side for us has been working fantastically. I mean. You know, when we when orders get put in and are fulfilled by Amazon, it just happens smoothly, and and we're right. pretty happy with that. And it totally changes the way fulfillment used to work for selling stuff online because you either sure. were fulfilling out of your garage, right, or you mm -hmm. were fulfilling with a, a separate fulfillment company that you had to work with and negotiate with and figure out how to plug them into your website. And right. there's a, a really high level of convenience having Amazon do all that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting. We have a neighbor who has a business that's basically an FBA business. So it's fulfillment by Amazon and it's it's random. They're not like in a particular segment. They just basically have this highly automated software that scans the Amazon website and there are all kinds of analytics stuff that you can do sort of to see, okay, which categories are selling well? What's the lowest price? Can we get an equivalent product from China that's slightly cheaper so that we have a margin and can undercut the current leader? And then how quickly can we get that out the door? Um, and, you know, it's a, quite a significant size business and there's lots of companies like that. There was an interesting article, I can't remember if it was in Fast Company, one of those websites, uh, a while back about a similar seller. But just the automation and the scale behind some of these businesses is amazing. But as you say, it benefits Amazon and obviously benefits the customer base because it increases the range of stuff that, for example, is Prime eligible. Um, so that the amount of stuff that's prime eligible has increased dramatically over time, but a lot of that increase has come from these third-party fulfillment by Amazon sellers rather than from Amazon itself. And yet, to the customer, it doesn't really make much difference. Behaves pretty much the same way either way. Um, okay, well, let's move on. Any, any last comments on Amazon before we move on? Oh, no, let's get on to Apple. Okay, sure. Well, let's go on to Apple then. So Apple uh, reported results again as the reported results themselves as the guidance as well, which is unusually interesting this time around, I think. So we'll, we'll certainly spend some time talking about that. Um, but much sort of as expected, their revenues were down again year on year um, across you know a number of different categories and then overall um, a number of other sort of interesting things going on. So margins have been down a little bit as, as revenues have been lower on the same sort of cost base to a great extent. Um, services uh, as a revenue line was bigger than Mac on a on a four-quarter basis. I think it's the first time that's happened. Um, 
R&D still continues to rise, so they've cut back on a few other things, but R&D is still up. Uh, services is accelerating, and services obviously is the segment where the App Store sits, but it's also where things like Apple Music sits, and that's basically new revenue for Apple, and that's actually contributing quite a bit to that growth. Um, China has gone through this sort of bullwhip effect as the rest of the business has gone up and then down. China's been like an exaggerated version of it, so it was uh, much higher growth rates than the rest of the business when things were going very well a couple of years ago, and has now declined by a much more significant amount as well a couple of years later. Um, all kinds of other interesting stuff. But kind of what stood out to you here? Uh, China was well. It's funny about China because we were predicting doom and gloom with Apple in China uh, last year, if you remember, mm-hmm. and and it didn't fully materialize. And I think a lot of that had to do with holiday spending. Um, if I remember the timing right of when we were talking about this, I wonder if part of China is also that just you know the 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 sort of the overhang of of softening economic conditions as far as China is concerned, because there were a whole bunch of companies that were really stressed out by that. Um, I think services overtaking Mac is interesting. Um, what I am curious about is where Apple goes next on the services side. Mm-hmm. And most of their services businesses have been out there long enough and have kind of settled in that uh, I think we've got a, a decent sense of you know the slow burn growth that they expect to see in that space. Um, Slow burn growth, I don't think, is ideal for them. I think, you know, as a company that seems to be strategically pursuing services, there have to be new products added, and I'm curious what they have in mind that way. Maybe there still is a TV service on the table, although I'm not optimistic after they launched the TV or announced the TV app just recently, but or last week. But, but you know, I'm curious what other services revenue they have in mind as far as new products are concerned, because a slow burn is going to. I mean, it's not a small business by any means, but it is small relative to everything else Apple does. I mean, because to say that services overtakes the Mac is like saying that services went from last place to second to last place. And uh, and so it'll be interesting to see if they have new services products in mind. Services products, that's a weird term. If they have new services that they're mm-hmm. going to be selling. Um, yeah. Because they, it, 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 they seem to be strategically really oriented that way and... and and I'm very serious about it, and I'm just curious what else they have in the pipeline as far as services are concerned. Yeah, interesting. I mean, just to comment on a couple of things there. I mean, services is the second biggest at this point, so it's ahead of both iPad and Mac in terms of revenue because iPad has lower oh, ASPs than I'm Mac. Oh, that's true. So it's actually, you know, it's, it's the second biggest business after the iPhone. It's obviously a long way behind the iPhone, but it's the second biggest at least this quarter. Um, the other thing is, you know, the slow burn is also relative, right? So recently it's been at over 20% year on year. Um, you know, it was at 10% for a long time, sort of 2014, 15. Since the launch of Apple Music, it's been uh, inching its way up to now it's in the 20s year on year. So it's the fastest growing as well. Uh, mind you, everything else basically is is at zero or less right. with the exception of the other products category, which is where the Apple Watch sits. But, um, you know, even that's come down dramatically. But... Uh, it's yeah, it's it's not to be sniffed at. If it was a business in its own right, um, you know, I think as Apple has said, it would be you know creeping into the largest businesses lists. You know, I can't remember if they said fourteen fifty, but it's certainly getting up there in terms of overall revenue. It's pretty significant. So, I, but I think that has everything to do with the size of their customer base, especially on iPhone, yeah, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's their point, right? Right. It, well, that is their point: is that they're going to build a really healthy, robust services business on top mm-hmm. of all their users. I don't know, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm being unreasonable, but it just feels like if you have a, a platform of that size and you have that many users, 
Uh, 20% year over year does feel a little slow. I mean, we were just talking about AWS, and AWS is growing faster than that. And it, uh, mm-hmm. and they're not building off of the same. I mean, granted, there's, there's a total, like, there's an entire magnitude shift when we're comparing the two businesses. But right. but the point is, is that, uh, you know, it seems like they've got, they've got to have more stuff to sell. They have to have more services to sell for this to keep growing because it just feels like they're going to kind of top out uh, sooner than later when it comes to getting people to pay for stuff because they can use it on their iPhone. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it, I, there's certainly potential for that. TV would be an obvious one, right? We've talked about that quite a bit and don't want to rehash it here. But, you know, if they were to do a subscription video service at, say, 30 to $40 a month, uh, even if it was just in the U.S., that could be a very significant contributor considering that the largest thing they have right now is Apple Music at about $10 a month. Right. So, And rumors you know, are that the price is going down $2 a month. Right. So. Right. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. I mean, they've obviously got student subscriptions and so on already at less than that. But right. uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you know, 400 million plus a quarter in revenue right now from Apple Music. You know, imagine quadrupling that with a video service potentially. So that's suddenly in the billions a quarter, you know, get up to five, six, seven billion dollars a year pretty quickly. So and that, that could f- be a fairly meaningful contributor. And that feels more like Apple. Yeah, you know, I I don't think I just I think all the services all the services that they're selling now are, are nice. Mm-hmm. Music is obviously kind of the 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 top one on the on the marquee, but but uh, but yeah, there there has to be more coming. It just doesn't feel mm-hmm. like Apple's going to kind of dink and dunk their way to to the right. size of the business they actually want to build here. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so a few more other little tidbits. Um, they, they don't really report on retail at all anymore in their, their earnings. You have to kind of go digging around to find it. And uh, I've resorted to going to the website and counting retail stores in individual countries to get some of the data they used to report directly. But it's interesting to see what's happening there. They opened this uh, 20th country uh, for retail recently, which was Mexico. Um, they'd opened Macau the previous quarter and um, the United Arab Emirates two quarters before that. So some interesting new countries there, but they're in 20 countries with retail now. Uh, at this point, it looks like 55% of stores roughly are uh, in the U.S., 45% international. And that's, that used to be 80-20 about six, seven years ago. So it's that balance has changed pretty dramatically. In the next year or two, I think we'll get to... Um, to probably parity between the U.S. and international, which would be interesting. Um, but as I mentioned at the top, guidance was interesting too. So their guidance was a return to growth next quarter. Um, and there's some stuff that's worth mentioning. There's an extra week in this quarter versus last year, so that gives you you know, a little bit extra uh, in and of itself. Last year, though, they also had the Samsung legal settlement, which is about $550 million, so they won't have that this time around. So those two kind of somewhat offset each other. Um, but all kinds of other sort of moving parts. But basically they are guiding to revenue growth year on year, which will be the first time in a year. And, and last year, this time, it was minimal growth. It was very, very low growth. Um, so, you know, as we've been saying, I think for a while now, we were anticipating that they would return to growth once they got past the sort of super cycle and the anniversary of the super cycle driven by the iPhone 6. Uh, so we're seeing that happen. What was interesting is their share price, is off about 5% since earnings. It was off almost 2% on the first day. It's been off a bit more than that since the event last week, which we talked about on last week's episode. Uh, The the market doesn't seem to have responded very well to the Mac uh, announcements. Um, I don't want to rehash all of that, but uh, interesting to see their share prices off a fair amount. But to my mind, 
that's odd in the context of this forecast for a return to revenue growth next quarter and makes me wonder to what extent analysts are either doubting that that guidance is going to be accurate or they're still more concerned about kind of a longer term picture and whether that growth is sustainable. Yeah, I really don't get that, like the doubting Apple guidance thing, because if there's one absolutely sure thing, like absolutely sure thing is that Apple will hit its guidance. I mean, that's about as, and and it's been that way for over a decade. I mean, Apple has just always, they've always guided, they guide relatively conservative. So I guess if they, if they don't, if they don't meet their guidance, it's because they've exceeded it. And, uh, and Apple just, yeah, they just don't miss on that. They've, 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 they predict and measure that incredibly well. And so I think there's a lot of reason to have confidence in it. You know, Apple's just such a funny stock that way because, um, you know, they, I think it's a magnitude thing. I think people just, you know, they, people think in percentages and when you're, when you're dealing with percentage gains on such a huge company to begin with, um, Mm -hmm. they just are naturally cynical. They just don't think anything could actually ever get that big. And I think the instinct, right. I, I think, you know, the, this last year of, of declining growth, a full year of it, right, which is, was kind of the big news item the day that Apple announced was that they had a full year of, of, of decline in their sales growth, right. um, which wasn't, it, it, anyway, the point is, is that, uh, is that it was just reaffirming this narrative of, you know, like what goes up must come down. And, right. uh, I think that's still at play now, despite the guidance that Apple gave. I think you can. Mm-hmm. I think you can count on it. They're going to hit those numbers. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, well, let's talk about uh, Microsoft next. As I said, Facebook's reporting later today, so we won't talk about them. Um, we'll move on to talking about uh, Microsoft. I think they're next on our list here. Um, their share price is up uh, almost four percent since they reported um, about that amount the first day, actually. Uh, since they reported about a week and a half ago. Uh, market responded very positively to what they had to say. Um, I wrote a piece uh, shortly after earnings were released about the hardware side of their business, which is kind of the bulk of what they do in consumer at this point, since a lot of the rest is kind of non-revenue generating from a Windows perspective, especially right now. Um, but lots of interesting stuff to talk about there. What was your kind of takeaway from Microsoft's earnings? Well, we were just praising uh, AWS, so I think we need to take some time to praise Azure and all the cloud computing um, uh, uh, business from Microsoft. I think it grew by 116%, which is is awesome. I, you know, I I love the, this new direction of Microsoft as a company. Um, I think the the reliance on Windows was just a really heavy burden and kind of an anchor on the company's neck. And I think uh, Satya Nadella has done a really good job of figuring out what's next for the company. And and cloud computing is clearly one of those things that's next and it's just doing really well. And so I think that's the reason to continue to be really optimistic. I think that like the partnership they announced with Amazon, for, or sorry, not Amazon, um, with Adobe is exciting, you know, being a preferred cloud partner or something like that. And, and uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think you know we, AWS looked impressive. Uh, Azure and other cloud services that Microsoft sells are looking even better. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, the, the transition that they've been going through from what it used to be to what it's going to be um, has meant that you've got these different trends going in different directions. And so the overall impact has been this kind of falling revenues, falling profits, and so on. But underneath that, you have some really sort of positive stories, and, and cloud is clearly one of those. And uh, they're a bit frustrating in that unlike Amazon, uh, they don't 
report cloud as this discrete business unit. So they do have a segment that's called intelligent cloud, but it has other stuff in it that most people wouldn't consider cloud services. Uh, so it's not the same as their cloud business. And then they'll, they'll give a revenue run rate. And this quarter started giving a, a gross margin, I think, as well for what they call their commercial cloud business. But that's a different cloud business from the other ones. So it's all a bit confusing. And it's, it's a, a frustrating lack of transparency if you're trying to do comparisons to Amazon, for example. But it's a very different kind of cloud business, too. Obviously, a lot of it's much more value-added sort of uh, productivity and, and end-user software, whereas obviously AWS is mostly servers and, and hosting and, and that kind of stuff that's sort of more back-end, less user-facing. So it's a very different kind of business. Um, but yeah, very positive story around all of that um, for the last little while now. And they've really been ramping up their CapEx as well. And it's interesting to see, you know, as Amazon's kind of held there steady for a while and now seems to be increasing it again. You know, over the past year, Microsoft's really dramatically increased their capital intensity. It was down a bit this quarter compared to the last three quarters, but still well up on last year. So they really seem to be investing very heavily in what's presumably service infrastructure and sorry, server infrastructure to support AWS. And to some extent, obviously, a lot of that investment goes into fulfillment and so on at Amazon, whereas at, at Microsoft, it's almost all going into service infrastructure. But, um, you know, very interesting to see that going well. Um, the consumer side of the business is interesting because uh, a lot of that is in hardware. So Xbox, um, Surface to some extent, um, you know, has been phones, although it's basically died as a business now. Um but, uh, you know, Office 365 Home is basically tapering off at about 25 million subscribers. So the growth there really seems to have slowed down quite dramatically lately. Um, you know, from a hardware perspective, you know, phones are basically dead. As I just said, they're selling off the feature phone business. Smartphones is probably under a million a quarter at this point, which is tiny. Um, Surface is interesting from a hardware perspective. That's been growing at a quite a healthy clip but they kind of guided that that would probably go down this quarter, even with the new hardware they announced last week, um, just because that's not sort of as mainstream hardware as the stuff they've had previously, uh, and because it really won't sell in volumes until the next quarter. Um, so that's interesting to look at. Search advertising is another one that's done really well for Microsoft, and it doesn't tell that story very much in the context of everything else it's doing, but Bing, as a business, is actually really big business and growing very rapidly, so that's been another success story for them on the consumer side. Yeah, I, you know, on the consumer side, I think it's clear that they, and they know this, they need to move more into the product space. Um, and I think that's what the Surface Studio is all about, even though, you know, they're not going to sell that many of those because mm -hmm. they're so expensive. But, but they are going to be generating a lot of interest. And they've sort of, and we talked about this last week, they've sort of shown everybody that they're capable of producing products that have a wow factor right. that can make them compelling. And, it, it'll, you know, the devil will be in the details on those products and how well received they are. But surfaces have been very, really well received as generally mm -hmm. as a platform. And so I think there's every reason to think that the product, the consumer product segment is going to continue to grow for them as a company, which is cool. I, you know, I, again, like I was just saying, I really love, I, I think it's easy to underappreciate how difficult it is to do a metamorphosis of a company the size of Microsoft and with the legacy mm -hmm. that Microsoft had. It's, it, is, it is a hard thing, and it's easy to, for right. a company like that to die on the vine. I think, I think uh, BlackBerry is a great example of that. RIM is a great example of that mm -hmm. with the BlackBerry. And, and Microsoft has, I think, I think it's clear that they are succeeding and moving in a good direction. How big it will be for them, the consumer product side, it's, it's hard to say, but I don't think there's... I don't think there's a reason to think it's going to fall off and not not actually be a successful, profitable business for them. Right. No, absolutely. Agreed. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's been one of those great turnaround stories. I mean, not like Microsoft was in awful trouble before. They were highly profitable and so on under Steve Ballmer as well. But it really felt like they kind of lost their direction a little bit towards the end there and obviously missed mobile, which was a disaster and, um, you know, seemed a bit lost. And, and, you know, since Satya Nadal has taken over, clearly some of the stuff started under Ballmer. But, you know, since he's taken over, it really does seem to have been through a dramatic turnaround. Well, and I think it's the fact that that Microsoft wasn't in dire straits that's making this impressive because it's just so mm-hmm. easy to hang on to the things that are actually dragging you down, which is exactly what RIM did. Right. And, I mean, RIM's demise was predictable while their revenues were still increasing um, because they just weren't changing and they weren't responding and they were putting out really terrible touchscreen products that everybody sort of, you know, comparing to Android and iPhone were saying this is not going to cut it. And even then they were doing well financially. Um, you know, Microsoft, I think, is, has, has avoided that, um, that, that, that danger. And, yeah. and that's, not, that's a hard thing to pull off because, mm-hmm. because when you have successful businesses internally, they kind of lead culturally. And so it, it takes, I don't know if it's necessarily a fight, but it takes, it takes a lot of recruiting and a lot of leadership to get a company to be willing to pivot away from the things that are, you know, that have historically been the cash cows. Yeah, no, absolutely. Any last thoughts on Microsoft before we move on to Samsung? Uh, no. Okay. All right, let's talk about Samsung then. Um, I wrote a piece for Tech Pinions Insiders, so it's behind a, a very low paywall. Um, if you want to go check it out, but I wrote a piece for Tech Pinions Insiders earlier this week about uh, specifically the Note 7 impact on uh, Samsung's earnings, which I, I recommend you check out. And I'll mention some of the numbers here in a minute on that. But uh, obviously, earnings were interesting for that reason. There'd been some guidance before the official results came out on uh, you know what what they're expected to be. Uh, what was interesting to me, and I kind of talked about in this in that piece, was that the overall impact on the bottom line was not that dramatic. It, it came down slightly year on year, but they had a lot of other stuff going well for them in the quarter, and so it wasn't that dramatic a hit. Um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that is. So it's still a couple of billion dollars in lost revenue, and slightly more than that in uh, the hit to profits. Basically, wiped out the profits in the mobile. Uh, division uh, this quarter. But other than that, um, the semiconductor business did pretty well this quarter. The general consumer electronics business did well. Uh, Other components did well. Um, So they had a lot of other bright spots in the earnings. They also sold their stake in in a third-party business uh, this quarter to try to offset some of the the costs of the recall just to try to mitigate the impact on the bottom line. And that, that did definitely help. Um, but you know they had an interesting set of results. They're definitely down year on year in terms of smartphone shipments, partly due to the Note Seven. But the the Galaxy S Seven is doing very well for them, and so I think in the fourth quarter they're largely hoping that that will fill the gap. But uh, any any thoughts from you, Aaron, on Samsung's results? So Samsung is, and we've talked about this idea before as well. Samsung has had this sort of ebb and flow in the smartphone business. I mean, you know, they sort of have their up years where they're growing faster than everybody, and then. And then it tapers off, and and the enthusiasm seems to go down. This S cycle, if I if I have it right in my head, was the S seven cycle was meant to push was was supposed to be the uptick, and it'll be interesting yeah. to see how much that gets dismantled um, by the Note seven recall. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, the S seven seems to have been doing well, but I don't think we've quite yet seen the 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 brand corruption, the extent of the brand corruption that's resulted from this. In fact, just on Monday there was a uh, a news article about a Southwest Airlines stewardess or a flight attendant who dressed up as a, 
as a Note 7 phone exploding, and that was her costume. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, this is, yeah. this is a story that's going to continue to be told, and, I, you know, I, I think it's going to hang around until the Note 8, and even when the Note 8 comes out, everybody's going to wonder, and the S8 comes out, everybody's going to wonder about the battery thing, and I think, you know, there's going to be a one- to two-week delay while people wait for somebody else to buy the phone and make sure it doesn't <laughs> explode in their pocket right. or on their nightstand. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so it, but it's interesting that this was supposed to be the up, end, you know, the the the, mm-hmm. the 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 flow part of that cycle, and uh, it's definitely going to be muted because of that. So right, yeah, no, and it's a shame, as I've said before. You know, it's coming at a terrible time for Samsung because they really they'd had a good year of recovery from the the worst sort of point in the last several years in terms of revenue declines and profits, and were working their way back quite nicely. Had a great launch earlier this year. Uh, with the S7 products and uh, really seemed to be on a bit of a roll. And then the Note 7 was fantastically reviewed as well when it first came out. And then the recall obviously blew all that uh, to, apart and, and has had a fairly significant impact since. Um, you know, they're forecasting a little hangover in the fourth quarter and the first quarter in terms of lost revenue from the Note 7 and so on. I think it's about a billion dollars uh, this quarter and half a billion uh, the following quarter. Actually, I guess two billion and, and one billion, I think, is what it is. And uh, a lot of that's in the mobile group. Some of it's actually in the components group because they the components group makes parts that go into their own phones, obviously, as well. And so they're going to have a bit of a hit there. Um, but as I say, overall, a lot of the rest of the business performing well, and especially semiconductors. And they, they've had some interesting advances there. Um, they, they've uh, moved to new uh, processes uh, there ahead of Intel and some of the other big names. And they're going to be ramping those up next year, which is impressive. They've, they've got a billion-dollar investment they just announced in the U.S. in the semiconductor space. So that's really kind of where a lot of their focus is right now. And so they've got a decent hedge there. Not that I'm sure they don't want the mobile business to go away, but um, they've got a really great other healthy business uh, that's kind of waiting in the wings and, and that's been one of their better performers over the last couple of years as well. So interesting to see that continue to do well. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, well, let's just spend a few minutes talking about Twitter's results. Um, this was uh, this reported. Uh, these were reported on Thursday morning, so the morning of the Apple event. And so it's one of the reasons why my Thursday last week was so crazy is I, I woke up early in, on Pacific time to cover these and then went straight into covering the Apple event. But uh, it's worth talking about these a bit. We've obviously talked about Twitter, Twitter quite a bit over the last few uh, months uh, on the podcast. But uh, was there anything that stood out to you, Aaron, from those results? No, I don't know. I, I feel like we're kind of beating a dead horse at this point. And not that right. Twitter's actually dead, but hmm. it feels like beating it anymore is going to kill it. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Not, I mean, not that we shouldn't talk about it, but, yeah. but uh, you know, that, uh, that round of rumored acquisitions that mm-hmm. then got completely dismantled, you know, over that week yeah. uh, and all the potential buyers, you know, walking away or, you know, in the, in the press anyway, appearing to walk away. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think if, if, if things don't change, if Twitter doesn't make product changes, if it doesn't start to build some buzz and excitement, I think a more likely outcome in the year to come is a fire sale of Twitter. Um, mm. Just because there's, there are a lot of investors that are going to be keen to get what they can and they're not going to be comfortable watching, you know, Twitter continue to, I mean, I, I, nosedive is way too strong of a word, but I think they're all afraid mm. that that's coming. 
Right. And so, especially because the video effort, which I think was the next big hope, is interesting but not overwhelmingly great. And right. so, I, I just think there are going to be a lot more people as time goes on wondering if they can make better use of their capital elsewhere. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, Twitter was of the companies that we've talked about, and Samsung's a bit tricky, so I'm ignoring them because they, they're on different exchange and have other drivers of their share price. But Microsoft is up, and Twitter is actually up since reporting earnings about three percent. Um, so it's interesting because I'm not sure the initial response was as positive, but uh, it was only up about one percent on the first day. But um, you know, one of the things that was striking to me, and I, I wrote a quick post about this, was. Um, they share this metric saying that millions of people every day come to Twitter to either sign up for a new account or come back to an account they haven't used for a while, um, which sounds great. You're like, oh, that's really great, you know, good news. But then you see that they only reported, I think, 3 million new monthly active users at the end of the quarter, which means that if there are millions, so at least 2 million every day, then you kind of multiply that by 30 to make a month's worth, so that's 60, and then by three months' worth, uh, you get to 180. So 180 million people over the course of a quarter became monthly active users, and yet at the end of the quarter, they only had 3 million new ones. And so you can do the math pretty easily. You know, One in 60 of those stuck around long enough um, to actually become an actual monthly active user on an average basis over the quarter. The rest all left again, or others who were already monthly active users left, and uh, these ones took their place. But either way, it's not a great story, actually, if you drill down on that metric a little bit. It's actually terrible uh, in terms of what it says about user retention. And the picture that it paints is one where, and Twitter has a little over 300 million active users at this point, um, the picture it paints is one where maybe half that base is actually monthly active users and, and probably daily active users. In other words, people who really are sticking around are there month after month using it regularly. There's probably another 150-odd million that are different every quarter, basically, that are new people that come in, give it a spin, uh, leave again, uh, and maybe they sign up for a new account the next quarter, maybe they don't. But um, you know, the, their core user base is probably a lot smaller than it seems because of their focus on MAUs rather than daily active users. And, you know, Twitter doesn't report daily active users. When they've hinted at the numbers in the past, they've been in the sort of 50%, 60% range. So that kind of confirms that idea that it's only about half the base that are really active. And then the other half, I think, is just this churning mass of temporary users that just keeps coming through every quarter. And this is a big part of their problem, too. Like, if they could just retain those users, if those users saw value in the service, then that would drive massively higher user growth. But almost all of them basically leave again within a month. And that's kind of the critical problem for them. Well, and all of that even assumes that these are real users. I mean, I just had this Twitter conversation with a couple of people yesterday. You know, it, it was in response to an article I read about all the bots that are out there right. promoting Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And, you know, and, and then think of all of the, the, the Twitter accounts that are created as part of, you know, convoluted efforts toward SEO and, and you know, social marketing generally. And, I mean, the point is, is all this stuff, you know, the, all of these users that are being created, Twitter's facing a real risk that the appearance is going to be that they're not real. Right. You know, at least a huge chunk of them. And Twitter's incentivized to have us not know that. But mm -hmm. if but but if if there's a if there's a corrosion of the user base in that way where, where Twitter's where it looks like Twitter is a growing platform only insofar as new users are bots that are being created to promote, you know, certain priorities for certain companies or individuals, um, it's kind of disastrous for them as a company. In fact, if you look at 
uh, I mean, the really crazy, the crazy, crazy part of this to me is how fundamental Twitter is for so many things and for so many people. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, what would have happened if six months ago Twitter had just closed up shop? What would have happened to Donald Trump's campaign? What would have happened mm-hmm. if Twitter had disappeared right. three years ago to Donald mm-hmm. Trump's prospects as even being a presidential candidate? I mean, Twitter was right. his principal platform for a lot of yeah. The, yeah, of his like rising into the public awareness. Mm-hmm. And it's just so crazy to me that that's going to have such cultural importance and yet as a business, um, you know, really be having so many just substantial struggles. It's, yeah, it's, no, it's a fascinating it's, thing. It's striking. Yeah, it's a, I can't think of another example of a company right. that's so central to so many of our lives and yet is financially not doing very well. That's right. You know, I like, mean, there'd be yeah. very few companies like that in the history of, you know, consumer technology. And yet, you know, Hero is a great example of that. Um, and so the question is just, you know, how do you turn that around? You know, and obviously cuts are part of the answer and they killed Vine and making some other cuts in the sort of sales and marketing team at Twitter to try to get the numbers down a bit. But, um, you know, can you cut enough to still have a viable product and make it profitable at the end of the day? That's the big question, I think. Well, and cuts tell the this, this story of decline, not the story of right. success. So. Right, absolutely. Yeah, so obviously wouldn't have been the first choice for anybody at Twitter. But, right. um, yeah, interesting to see that play out. Any last thoughts on Twitter or any of the other stuff that we talked about? No, I mean, it, it was definitely an interesting round of earnings announcements. I think Facebook, when it shows up this afternoon, is going to be blockbuster big. And yeah. uh, I think that'll be fun to fun to read about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Agreed. And maybe we'll end up talking about it a little bit next week, depending on what the results are exactly. But uh, I think we'll wrap it up there for today. Thanks for being with us, as always, our listeners. We appreciate it. Um, thanks for your recommendations and ratings and so on if you haven't done that or if you haven't done it for a while then please recommend individual episodes on uh, apps like Overcast that allow that uh, or or leave us a rating or a review on iTunes that helps other people to find the podcast if they're looking around there as well Uh, we thank you for listening we hope you have a good week and we'll be with you again next week thanks